We've talked about fake it till you make it before, but to be honest, we've changed our minds. That's right. We are past our years of imposter syndrome. We've worked damn hard at becoming experts. Join us as we talk through how we changed the narrative and left imposter syndrome behind. The Speakeasy Podcast, real talk about leadership and sanity in the creative industry. I'm Karen Steffel. And I'm Jen Estel. Managing creativity and business, we probably have an opinion on that. No prohibitions. Clearly, we have cocktails. The Paper Plane Cocktail. Yeah, I love this one. It's a bourbon cocktail. What do we have in here? I'm not pronouncing any of those things. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Amaro Nonino, Aperol bourbon lemon juice, right? Yes. Mm. So good. Just in a shaker till it's frosty, a couple of coupe glasses. I mean, we do love a bourbon drink, don't we? Yeah. And this one's nice because the sort of the balance of the sweetness and a little bit of tart and a little bitter all works out really well. Yeah. And it's all equal parts. So it's pretty easy to to get together. You folks know where to find that recipe. That's That's right. So... We have talked about faking it till you're making it, but we really have changed our minds. We kind of we kind of had this aha moment like, well, that's not us anymore. Yeah, I blame it on the podcast because we have talked about this stuff for so long that now we feel like we're experts everywhere. Feel like? It's not really about feelings. <laughs> that's true. The facts are that we, we're good at what we do. We are good at what we do, and we've been doing it for a lot of years. Mm-hmm. Here's the thing. I spent a lot of time... I definitely had imposter syndrome at the beginning of my career and for mm-hmm. good reason. Mind you, I'm I'm trained as a journalist who took publication design skills and turned them into being a graphic designer who then turned that into being a business owner. And so there were tons of things early on that I didn't know. Mm-hmm. And as a business owner, I'm sure you have the same experience. You learned how to be a video producer. That doesn't mean that you understand things like HR and profit and loss and facilities and equipment. You know what I mean? There's just a ton of stuff that sometimes you don't know when you're starting. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And, and it kind of depends on your personality, how you kind of, how that shows up, how your imposter syndrome shows up and like, how do you compensate for it? Like, where's the derivative? So usually, you know, imposter syndrome is that like lack of confidence or a presence of fear when you're triggered by something that you don't understand. You don't want people to find out that you don't know everything, which is funny because in those moments, you have to realize that other people feel the same way at the same time. Well, right. And that's the the sort of, that's the the interesting thing is I think at some point, you know, at the beginning, I really didn't know what I was doing. And then at some point I realized, oh, this is just a feeling everybody has all the time. So it's okay to feel this way. Because everybody feels this way. But then one day, I think you and I both turned around and were like, huh, I don't feel that way anymore. So for a moment there, I had this imposter syndrome feeling of, gosh, I just don't feel like I'm as qualified as I pretend to be. Oh, but wait, everybody else has this problem. But that is gone. And I don't I don't know what happened. And I think personally, part of it is cultural. I think culturally we have and I think younger generations have helped with this, become really okay at saying, I'm smart, I'll figure it out. (laughs) Yeah, Google, (laughs) YouTube. Well, you couldn't Google things before, and now you can. You can can become a Google expert in in four minutes flat. It's fantastic. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, how many times have you turned to YouTube to figure out how to fix something or how to solve something? 
Sure. I don't do it professionally, but I do it at home all the time. Oh, sure. Which has all kinds of societal and social implications to it that I don't think we'll understand for a hundred years, but it's really cool when you think about it. The availability of knowledge today is so incredibly vast compared to where it was even 20 or 40 years ago. Oh, absolutely. I think we're, we're we're so lucky to live through this. Right. Um, but you know, it, it makes folks like Karen and Jen think through, huh, we feel differently. And to really think about what, what kind of imposter syndrome we sort of had before and why we were thinking that way. Yeah. To that end, of course, you you did some research as as Karen does. <laughs> tell tell me about the types of po- imposter syndrome that you found. Okay, so I found this really great Forbes article um, about kind of where where imposter syndrome comes from and kind of what what shapes. It's a bit of a shape shifter, right? Because you wear it <laughs> or you believe it, and so I'll take myself for example. I absolutely grew up with some perfectionism stuff. I think it comes from gymnastics um, and I applied it to my professional life. And I think, and, and I agree with you, it's kind of through this podcast and being willing to pull the curtain back and saying like, this is kind of really how it is. I, two things happened. Number one, I just got really honest with myself and others that I'm not perfect and ding, 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 nobody is. Uh, which gives me a lot of peace. But then I had the courage to just say, hey, I don't. this is kind of the basis of our relationship. Like, I don't know how this works. How do you do that thing? How do you solve for X? And, and I think being courageous enough to ask questions breaks that up too, but then you're also solving for the things you don't know. So um, anyway, so in Forbes, there are these um, types of uh, types of imposters. So there's the perfectionist who has the... Um, very high self expectations that little mistakes mean you have failed. There's the super person, super woman, super man. They, they burn the candle at both ends and um, to kind of prove that they're the real deal. Right. Um, There's the natural genius where people, where things kind of come easily to you. And so when something's too hard, they just feel shame. Right. Mm-hmm. And then the soloist, which I like to also call the Lone Ranger, they don't like to ask for help because asking for help means that you are a failure or a fraud. And then the expert uh, is the person who continually, continuously seeks out certifications or training because that's their answer to never feeling qualified. So that's kind of, according to Forbes, according to Jeannie Contro, um, you know, that that's kind of how that's taken shape. So I really like that. What, what kind of imposter do you think you are? Well, I'm clearly the natural genius because I'm clearly a natural genius. (laughs) (laughs) No, uh, I I do, you know, we have this conversation all the time at home because our kids are this way. Like when you're used to being able to learn things easily and quickly, when you run across something you don't know, you suddenly feel or that you can't learn easily or quickly, it does instill some panic. And mm-hmm. and this the soloist seems very right for me as well. Mm-hmm. Um, and I grew up as a single child, you know, no no siblings. Spent a lot of time finding my own way, so that that feels very personality driven there. And yeah, you said absolutely. you're you're the perfectionist. I can see that too. Yeah, for sure. Um, I I mean, there are times where it sneaks in, not from an imposter syndrome thing, but like 
I want things a certain way. <laughs> um, so I feel it sneaking in every now and then, but I, I, I have enough of a conversation and a relationship with that part of my personality that I can, I see it and I stop pretty quick. You know, it's funny that we could have a whole, we could have a whole episode about that. I find that perfectionist syndrome or thinking sneaking in, not around feeling like an imposter, but around knowing that I can foresee and anticipate all the possible variables. And so if thing X isn't done to specification, I can see what will happen. And so I I find myself wanting to be a perfectionist because I can, I can imagine all the outcomes when something's not quite right. But maybe that's just a, a couple decades under your belt. You know what I mean? Yeah. That's a lot of mental calisthenics. I think it's kind of exhausting. Well, sure. I mean, <laughs> um, so I think that so, you know, we have joked that, you know, you're the natural genius, that we're experts now. And I just want to make sure that that doesn't reek of a lack of humility, because I think we both have those things. And so I, you know, but at the same time, letting go of imposter syndrome allows you, because it can really hold you back. It holds back your thinking. That doubt makes you really gun shy to dive in, right? Yeah. Yeah. And you're right. I think we can only talk about it and joke about it this way because we have been through it and come come out the other side. Mm-hmm. And so there are two observations I have is the moment that I realized it was okay to say, I don't know, but I'm going to find out, or I'm not familiar with that. Please tell me. Or like you said, I'm not familiar. How do I do that? Or how, how do you do that? once you take that risk and say words like that and the success rate is high and the results are positive and people don't look at you like, well, you're faking it. What, what do I trust you for? Why would I pay you? So once, once you take that leap and try just being honest about what you don't know, it becomes much more comfortable. Mm -hmm. It's nice, you know? So there's a little bit of being brave enough to take that leap and admit when you don't know something that alleviates having imposter syndrome. Yeah. I, I think too, the the language I usually use with clients, especially first time clients, is I will very clearly say, I you are the subject matter expert, but I absolutely know how to develop this this deliverable for you. And I know the right questions to ask for me to very quickly get up to speed. And I have these types of experiences in your sector. So it allows them to understand that I don't have to know everything to know how to get them to achieve their goals. Right. Because you do know an effective method to get to a effective solution. Yep. And that you can apply again and again and again. Mm-hmm. And that's, I think, when you realize you don't have to know the intimate bits of someone's sector, but you do have to know your method to succeed, that opens it up too. That takes that imposter syndrome away because you realize, oh, these variables that I don't know are fine because I know what I need to know to succeed. Yeah, absolutely. So interesting. Yeah. And I think, I think focusing on your strengths when you do have that feeling of um, a lack of confidence in an area, focusing on your strengths, because really when you have imposter syndrome, you're focusing on all of your gaps and you're forgetting 
that you're still got your tool belt on, right? And they're filled with great tools. So it's just really focusing on what you do have um, that I think helps. And I, again, I will repeat being curious and asking questions and not being worried about asking questions. Um, that doesn't have to look like you're dumb <laughs> or that you <laughs> have are not a lack qualified. or sure. are not qualified. It's just, um, I think curiosity and asking questions is actually a, quite a positive attribute. I, and I think it's seen as a sign of intelligence and a sign of competency because anyone who, who does know their stuff understands what a good question looks like. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. So when, when you are asking someone who is a subject matter expert, for example, the ins and outs, they see in your tone and your ability to to formulate the question and where your questions are leading you, they see the expertise that you have and how you're applying it to learning so that you can serve them. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. So I find that to be a really useful thing to mull over, I suppose. Yeah. The, the other thing that I think is interesting and what I think has helped us leave behind imposter syndrome is maybe outside of us a bit. I think that our culture has moved past assuming that conformity to a single standard means competency. Mm. Mm. So when we started in our careers, professional, quote unquote, looked a certain way. Mm -hmm. and, and that means dressing a certain way, cutting your hair a certain way, using a certain set of language. And so in order to be a quote unquote professional, you had to conform to these sometimes hidden and difficult to navigate standards. Mm -hmm. But if I look around at culture now, I think that we have a much wider understanding or, or tolerance for tolerance for variation. And so you, you don't feel like you have to comply to someone else's standard in order to feel competent in a way that I think you might've had to a couple of decades ago. Does yeah. that make sense? Absolutely. I do remember one time I, uh, I had a job in Dallas and I was warned that the person that I was meeting with was very traditional and he was my senior by 25 years. So I put on my black suit and my very basic button up blue shirt and I waited in his lobby and I could hear him in his office. He had a grand piano in his office and I could hear him playing something because he was a composer and, and we were going to work together. And um, he came out when he was ready for me and I stood up and I shook his hand and he goes, you call yourself a creative. You don't look like you're dressing like creative. And I was just like, <laughs> dang, dang. <laughs> Cause I didn't feel like me at all dressed in my black suit. And That's goes, very funny. Yep. So today, what would you what would you wear if you were going to that same engagement? Um, what would you choose? Probably still pants, but not a blazer jacket, and probably you know a sweater or a scarf, or, and and you know my jewelry, and I wouldn't worry about my hair. I mean, of course, I would be well <laughs> well groomed, but I would just be me. Yeah, because you know that you is good 100%. enough. Adequate to get the job done in an excellent way. You don't need yeah. to fake it with a suit. Yeah, I also wouldn't overcompensate with like a beret, and you know, <laughs> I, I would still be myself. 
don't you know, know. Do you feel like? Do you feel like as leaders that we have a responsibility to identify imposter syndrome or, or help break it up for other people? Oh, I think so. I, I well, I think I think you and I both agree that as leaders, we we have taken on the responsibility of mentoring the people who work for us and helping them to achieve their own goals and grow their careers. So if you're seeing something that's a barrier to goal achieving and career growing, it's up to you to help remove that barrier, right? Yeah. And I do it with people who aren't, who are not necessarily on my team. You know, if I'm, if I'm on location and I, you know, meet somebody and I say, oh, are you so-and-so, you know, my contact, they're like, oh no, I'm just the and I'm like, don't use the word just. You know, I always try to make sure people understand that every job is important. And to use the word just kind of uh, diminishes one's value. And um, I always ask for opinion from the quiet one um, because quietness could mean a lot of things. It can be interpreted a lot of different ways. It could mean dissent. It could mean a lack of confidence. It could, you know, it could mean a lot of things. So just making sure that every voice is heard um, and I, and sometimes I will, I will see paralysis from analysis. Right. And I sometimes yes. don't know if that's, um, a lack of confidence or a desire to be perfect. And sometimes perfect isn't warranted for an opinion. Right. Right. So, yeah, I, I, I'm not necessarily looking for imposter syndrome, but anytime somebody's behaving in a way or they use language that that somehow indicates that that they're not as valuable or that their idea isn't as valuable, I I call it out. Yeah, I I agree with you. I think and I think those those micro moments help in so many different ways, right? It's just one small nudge for somebody so that they can rethink how they perceive themselves or what makes them nervous. And your small nudge might be, even if you have a short engagement with someone, might be added to another small nudge or another little episode. And over the course of time, those things grow and they grow and, and they can help build all kinds of confidence. So I love that tactic. It's a smart, it's a smart way to live. I mean, gosh, treat people like human beings, <laughs> right? <laughs> <laughs> It well, kind of does all come down to that. It's interesting that you say that too, because I think some of imposter syndrome comes from other people's reaction to you. So if, if all fear. the people are, yeah, if all the people around you are acting like you should know something or being dismissive of you because you asked some sort of question that they perceived as naive or, or whatever, that will get heaped upon you. Right. Mm -hmm. We'll soak that up. So when you can build an environment where asking questions, admitting what you don't know, exploring your knowledge and exploring where you want to build your expertise becomes the norm and it's encouraged, then does imposter system syndrome just go away? That would be nice, wouldn't it? That would be nice. Maybe we can make that world. Mm -hmm. You guys with us, listeners? Let's do it. Let's do it. I faked... Uh, I faked my way through high school math after I felt like an imposter because my, I really liked geometry, but when I got to trigonometry, my teacher had been a former college professor 
and I asked a question about what I perceived as a step getting skipped. Mm -hmm. And so I raised my hand and I said, I don't know how you got from there to there. And he turned around and he looked at me and he said, go back to algebra if you're going to ask questions like that. Wow. And I never, I, I felt myself get hot and I welled up with tears and I just closed in and I, and I never asked another question in that class again. And it was my worst grade in high school. Um, but I was, there was no way I was going to ask a question again. So I faked my way through math for the rest of the year and a half I had in high school. Well, that didn't bode well for calculus. <laughs> I was going to say that. See, by the time I got to calculus, I was like, I, I'm not going to be a math major. I just want to know how to get the answer. I don't want to understand the theories behind it. Yeah, I'm a <laughs> and my math teacher really wanted me to understand the theories behind it. Oh, Mr. Larson, those conversations. Yep. Mr. Larson would be happy to know that I have cultivated a math major. My eldest son understands 17 times more math than I ever will. So that's awesome. Moved the moved the genes along, I suppose. That's right. You paid it forward. <laughs> <laughs> paid it forward something. So what do you think makes someone doubt their skill thus feel a little bit of imposterish? What makes us doubt ourselves? Well, a fear of not having the answer when we when we feel like we're out of our league. But you're saying what creates that? Well, I think I think there are times when you are out of your league. You know what I mean, especially early in your career and you and you're not sure you have the answer, you're feeling green. Um, and fear of making a mistake was always, you know, there for me. Um, I think, you know, I go back to, um, like the, the, the construct of the group project, the one person that ends up doing it, right. The Lone <laughs> Ranger, it's because sure. they don't trust somebody else to do it as well as they would. Um, and, and the other people in the group feel that feel not trusted. Right. Or not competent. Which is very similar to your feeling. I would imagine it, it, it gives you that closing off sensation that you talked about in your math class, right? Mm -hmm. For sure. Feeling unwelcome to participate, feeling shut out in some way. Well, so there's this, um, so it's like a belief cycle, right? Um, if I'm the leader of the group, I believe that nobody in my group is competent enough and I'm, I'm going to take control of my grade. People see that behavior and decide that they're not going to engage because fill in the blank. They're not worthy or screw that person. Then the person who made up that sees the evidence. Right. And therefore is validated and continues to be the Lone Ranger. Belie it's a terrible it's a standard cycle. belief cycle. Yeah, it's true. But we're not doing it anymore. No. We're done. So done. There's really something nice about what I really enjoy is being able to so, sort of say to a client, um, oh, I see what you're talking about. Let me let me talk to our designer. She's the expert in that area. And, and being able to, as a business owner, admit I'm not the expert in X. That is someone else that we trust on our team. That feels very empowering. Mm -hmm. It feels very, very good to be able to say, oh, I'm not the expert in that. I think you should talk to someone else and mm -hmm. here is why. Because what that implies is that you're the expert someplace else, right? And that makes your expertise in whatever it is you've chosen all that much stronger and more confident when you can 
when you can admit that someone else is an expert in a different area. Well, and, and, and it, first of all, ought to be true. I like to hire people who are smarter than me. But same. number two, you trusting your team tells the client that they can trust your team. Yes. Yes. So we believe, to sort of wrap this sort of interesting conversation, not only have we given up on imposter syndrome, everyone else should too. <laughs> the end. The end. You know what you shouldn't give up on is this paper plane cocktail. Oh, I know. It's a good one. It's, it's really, good. what a fun little name too. A little sweet, a little tart, a little bitter. Yeah, I like it. It's a nice way to round things out. The past couple of years, there's been a lot of talk about your bubble, the small, safe place you choose to exist when you need to hunker down. But the truth is, we don't live in a bubble. What we choose to say and do has a great deal of effect on those around us. And in fact, on those we don't know and can't see. So join us next time when we talk about the ripple effect and take a good look at how your actions can impact those around you, your community, and your culture as a whole.